I'm getting a little <clears throat> congested as the day goes on here. Well, <laughs> Ethan and Austin have been sick. Yeah. For the last two weeks. And of course, with all the things that are going on, you never know. Yeah. Well, the good news is about the coronavirus. Uh, we don't want to date the recording of this episode, but. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, we've had the cold go through our house recently. To be honest with you, I had um, if we were to record three nights ago, I literally was exhausted by nine. It was one of those twenty-four hour colds. I couldn't breathe. It's still a bit of my voice, and I will say, uh, but I stopped taking medicine. That's where I'm at now. So, still a little bit of my nose, and but now the daughter has it, and uh, it it just goes through the house. But it's just the cold. I think it's your common cold. But you know what? Even if it's the virus, I hate to say it, but um, some people can. I've heard and. According to studies or science or whatever it is we're receiving, I'm so skeptical about everything sometimes, but people can carry the virus and not even quote unquote know it because they have a cold or diarrhea or whatever it is. Is oh, I'm just not feeling well, but they actually are carrying the virus and go about their day. That's the trick with it though, right? Yep. If you don't know, you'll be passing on to a whole bunch of other people that can't do what you're doing, can't handle it. That seems to be the biggest danger of the whole thing. And that's why they're saying act like you have it, act accordingly, and hopefully we can get this thing squashed. Yeah. If it has nowhere to go, then it, it will die out. Speaking of death, you ready to get going into some mega death? Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do this. Welcome to the worst of the best podcast. You wanted the best. Well, they didn't freaking make it. So here's what you get. From Canada, Ryan and Jason. Welcome to the Worst of the Best podcast. I am your host, and with me today for his unprecedented fourth guest host appearance, my brother, Jason. How you doing? Doing good. Yeah. I'm excited about this one. So, Jason, you've been on uh, two-parter Faith No More, which are uh, very top downloaded episodes of those were. And uh, I told Jason, I don't want to break it to him, but his twisted sister, outing though the numbers are pretty good they just don't have the same audience i think that faith no more has at least for at least podcast listening audience (laughs) i suspect album sales as well (laughs) (laughs) but that being said we want to thank those who did come on the twisted sister journey with us that was a lot of fun that was a fun to record at the end of the day and this is what ruben and i would always say is that even if nobody was listening sorry 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 who yeah (laughs) Ruben, our brother, the founder, the founder of this podcast. (laughs) Oh, poor guy. We love him. And he, as he knows, he's got that uh, open invitation to come back on whenever he wants, whenever that podcasting bug bites him again and he comes back on again and his life is uh, such where he wants to do that. But I'm more than happy to have Jason come on, especially for the music episodes, because Jason and I growing up together, only two years apart in age. And same with with Ruben and I, we had the same easy experience to talk about the music because music was a big part of our life. And today's topic is Megadeth, Rust in Peace. And I know we've bragged about this before, Jason, on previous episodes, but if you're a first-time listener of this podcast, welcome to this podcast and what this episode is about. Let me just give a 
preamble for new listeners, because I think every now and then we get new listeners of the show, especially those right. who are coming on because of the topic. So there probably might be one or two people who are listening to this episode saying, get on with it already, you two, and start talking about Rest in Peace. We're going to get there. But let me explain why we're talking about Rest in Peace and what we're going to do with it. It's called The Worst of the Best Podcast. We take something that is the best, whether it's a best of list or top selling this or best greatest hits or whatever it might be from food to celebrities or actors to even conspiracy theories. And then we decide what we feel is the worst from that best. So the rankings mean nothing because number 10 could be the best in our eyes or and the, or number one could be the worst in our eyes, so to speak. So with Megadeth, I think it goes without saying, Jason, that critically and I... <laughs> And oh yeah, disclaimer, before we get into the mega the talk, as we said before with our Twisted Sister and Faith No More talk and all our previous topics, we are not subject matter experts. OBR are fans of this album and of the band. And we're going to talk about our uh, thoughts of the album, of the band, what it meant to us in our youth and all that good stuff. So we don't have the, the history of everything. We might get some names wrong or, you know, the dates wrong here or there. But we'll do our best to be accurate. But we just don't want anyone listening to this podcast thinking that if you know more about Megadeth than us, then just you know more than Megadeth about us. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not going to pretend we are the Wikipedia page for Megadeth or the Wikipedia page for Rust in Peace. Uh, Megadeth has a revolving door of band members. So we're not going to pretend we're going to get all of those things correct. But what we will do is share our experience enjoying the band as fans, just not fanatical fans. Right. Thank you, Jason. You mentioned the revolving door of members, and that's unfortunately for the majority of bands that have been around for as long as Megadeth. Let's just say, because Megadeth, as we know, their first album came out in 1985. Killing is my business, dot, dot, dot. And business is good, exclamation point. Kind of a hokey uh, name for an album, quite frankly. But uh, that was their debut album. That came out, Jason, in 1985, 35 years ago. Yeah, 85. 85. That would have been the year after Kill Em All. So he went right to work after being booted from Metallica. Yeah. Am I right on that? Well, I think it was Ride the Lightning was 84. Oh. It's okay. Kill em All came out in 83, and Ride the Lightning the year after. Really crazy. Kill em All 83, Ride the Lightning 84. Dave Mustang, of course, uh, original guitarist, lead guitarist for Metallica back in the early days when they were just young lads. Unfortunately, they just didn't get along. Whatever version of the story you want to follow, I don't care. It didn't work out for the band members. They were just kids, and they were <laughs> alcohol-fueled arguments don't help. Uh, James was not an angel either. Neither was Dave. Just two alpha personalities, I think. Yeah, and, and Lars, both James <laughs> and Lars, you talk about, yeah, two yeah. massive egos. Totally, and, and that's what makes drive. them stars. You had to drive. Yeah, exactly. That's what makes them work, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, to say that Lars doesn't have an ego, you're lying. And I like Lars. I, without Lars being who he uh, is, Metallica wouldn't be who they are. Yeah. Lars did all the legwork to get them popular, all the uh, promos and everything. Anyways, that being said, we're fans of Metallica, and we're also fans of Megadeth. Uh, very, very brief history. So, like, like I said, if you want to learn about their history, by all means, go, go on Wikipedia, Google Dave Mustang, lead singer, drive... Sorry. 
Mustang. Mustang. My apologies. Yeah, well, it is Mustang. My apologies. He did some co-writing on Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning. Then he got kicked out of the band, left the band, whatever version you want to say. But he got kicked out, and he formed, right, like Jason said, right away, Megadeth. Great name. It is. And it starts with an M. Yeah, I wonder if that was intentional. <laughs> but yeah, Megadeth. Oh, I guess your attention. Yeah, it does. It does. And I love how death is E. TH, you know, it's not even spelt correctly, but still sounds like death. <laughs> so, Peace Sells, Who's Buying? Okay, so that was their first album, 85, and back in the day when, you know, bands just pumped out albums. And let's just keep in mind here, I want to just tell the age that Dave Mustang was. To me, this is key. He was born in 61. So, when Peace Sells came out in 80s. I actually, honestly, I had a tough time too, Ryan, finding, I was trying to find album sales. I couldn't see any numbers. Okay, let's start all over again. Let's start over again. Their first album, went after Dave Mustang was kicked out of Metallica, like Jason said, came out in 1985, one year after Ride the Lightning. That's going to be a fun one to edit. <laughs> I might keep some of the mistakes in just because we're human. It might just be easier to keep some of the mistakes in. Okay. Yeah, Jason, you just mentioned album sales. It's kind of, yeah, let's see if we can see an album sale here. Yeah, it didn't do very well uh, for peaking, let's say, for positioning on the charts. At least we can get that. For the U.S. Billboard... It only made 200, like it ranked 169. Yeah. That was its peak position. So, really, it did not do well. But to keep in mind, Metallica weren't the juggernauts that they were back in 84 either. They were an underground band. To have a band member leave an underground band to start their own underground band, it's just that it's almost par for the course. Maybe it's even a miracle they charted. Yeah. I mean, it would just be probably just word of mouth more than anything. Yeah. There was no forums, (laughs) uh, web pages. Yeah, this is definitely word of mouth. Dave Mustang was, Jason, he was 24 when that album came out. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. As we get older, Jade, do you ever like look back and just think, boy, the ages that some of these guys were? 24, like, what was I doing when I was 24? Not this, not pushing my music and pushing my craft and being good at it. Not only were they good musicians, good lyricists and all the rest, I mean, but they were have to be completely driven. Yeah, I wasn't doing what they're doing. Yeah, 24, no. Well, and then at the age of 25, just a year later, they released Dave Mustang and the Boys at the time who were in the band. They're not unnamed people, but again, if you want to know all the changing band members till we get to Rust in Peace, then by all means, go Google this. But Peace Sells and Who's Buying came out in 86. Some of the big uh, songs from that were Peace Sells, of course, and Wake Up Dead with the two singles from that album. Then in 88, so they took a two-year break, the album titled... So far, so good, so what? So they're really, uh, I want to say they're kind of silly titles, but so far they're kind of silly titles. You know what I mean? The first three albums. I agree. <laughs> a little bit cheesy. Yeah. Again, it's the 80s, and he's in his 20s, so it's kind of the perfect storm of kind of silliness. But the albums themselves aren't silly, but there was kind of like a little bit of a, yeah, a little bit of silliness to the titles at the very least. Some of the big songs from here, of course, were Liar, or was the single Mary Jane and Anarchy in the UK, the cover song from... It was the Sex Pistols, and they did a great job on that cover, actually, yes. Then, okay, so the reason why we're doing this episode. In 1990, Jason, two years after this album, they had a couple band member changes. So we'll, we'll say this now, because I believe that the two members that came in, Marty Friedman, the lead guitarist, and drummer Nick Menza, who replaced Jeff Young and Chuck Baylor, but Friedman and Menza, the reason why we know these names and these individuals who joined Dave Mustang and David Elveson on bass was because this was our first 
album that we heard and maybe we'll start talking about the first time jay that you heard this album your age and all that stuff uh the album came out september 1990 yeah i'm really bad at math <laughs> but you're born in 73 <laughs> jay you're born in 73 so you're 17 okay 17 <laughs> wow was i really that old i know i thought you were younger too when we listened to this album but no you were 17 mm. when it came out yeah okay i remember very specifically having bought the tape i had it in my a yellow sportsman sony sportsman walkman you know the yellow one i had the little clip because it was like kind of waterproof i remember listening to it on that and we were doing dishes and i was in shock about how amazing and powerful of an album this was so this was my first exposure to megadeth to this day i can visualize ourselves doing the dishes mm. yeah very that, vivid memories no i was there for this yeah we were doing the dishes but i was listening to my headphones and then i would have shared it probably with you later that's my experience that's what i remember okay interesting i remember we were listening to Metallica by this time. Yes, we were, because this was 1990. And so we had already listened, started listening to... We were introduced with Metallica, of course, with Justice for All. That's when we got exposed to them, keeping in mind of our age, no internet. It kind of makes sense. Their biggest commercial album at the time we, we got a hold of, and then we got their back catalogs. And then I remember when you got Megadeth, and I can't remember at the time, because I was 15 to your 17, I remember you had the, the tape, and you were praising it and i remember being skeptical saying well come on we already listened to metallica how can something else top justice let's say or like i almost felt skeptical and maybe i knew something about them because i didn't think i was going to like it i didn't think i was going to be whatever it was i was going to be jay i'm so happy i was wrong and every band has an album whether they're 50 million selling album or 200,000 copies, whatever the band, whatever the album. Every band peaks. And it's just the way it goes. Sometimes they peak with a debut album. <laughs> Sometimes they peak with album number four, like Megadeth did. For whatever reason, all cylinders were firing. Creativity, talent-wise, the personnel-wise, the production-wise. Something just happens. And Rust in Peace is probably... If it's not the greatest thrash metal album of all time, it's in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's almost universally recognized as one of the best, and rightfully so, thrash metal. It's not quite metal the way that Metallica's metal. It's a, it's a little bit, it's actually quite different um, in their mm -hmm. approach, in their music and their writing stylistically, the change ups in their songs, like the changing tempos and stuff like that. Yeah, as far as thrash metal, and, and I would even say just metal in general, it's got to be up there at the top three, four, five albums in that genre. Um, thrash metal for sure, top two, top three, for sure. Yeah. And recognizing the Megadeth like as probably the most favorite album, might not be the highest selling album of theirs, but it is got to be the most respected album of theirs, and for good reason too. Their album sales, they figured they sold approximately just uh, over a million in the States, 100,000 in UK, and 100,000 in, in Canada. So not as much as I thought. Megadeth is kind of the DC to Metallica's Marvel. <laughs> in the metal fandom, there's this 
competition that I don't think any one has asked for, but it seems to be Megadeth's better than Metallica, then Metallica's better than Megadeth, where I'm kind of like, I just enjoy both bands, and I, I don't, I, I'm able to enjoy both without having to compare, and I know maybe the comparison is natural in some ways, because Dave used to be a part of Metallica and wrote a lot of those early thrash metal riffs, and people who are fans of Metallica's early thrash albums, Ride Lightning and Kill Em All, credit Dave for that and are said about Metallica's direction in later years. What's your feeling on the competition? I also feel there isn't a competition. They're two completely different bands, Mm -hmm. and they approach their music very differently. Russ and Peace is not comparable to any album that Metallica has ever released. It's hard, it's fast, it's loud, and that's about as comparable as you can get. But the technical approach that Dave has, and and also Dave Ellison, the bass player, is so technically difficult I would think they're not the same. They're just not the same approach to music. And I have a bit of a soft spot for Dave because I feel bad that he got kicked. Like, could you imagine having to live in the shadow of Mm. the juggernaut that is Metallica and knowing that that could have been me? I do too. I do have a soft spot too for Dave, especially he just battled what, cancer? Yeah, he did. Yeah. And cancer. He's back on the road and back out there and working on a new album. And this is, uh, at the end of the day, this is Dave's baby. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it documented that he felt ripped off from what could have been. But at the same time, he has had success that majority of people in the music industry will never have. If you are an aspiring musician, you would love to have been anywhere near his success, even though that success is completely eclipsed by Metallica's success. And that's where the comparisons go. And that's I mean, they had such a, the roots of those two bands coming from a very similar spot, but went in very different directions. So I feel bad for Dave, but at the same time, I don't feel bad because he has had his own success and he's done it on his own terms and in his own ways. And he's still out there doing it. And he's got way more music than Metallica. Yeah. He's had a successful career. By any measure, he's had a successful career. And me and you... Have been able to see them a few times live, Megadeth. Yeah, I was going to say, how many times have you seen them live yourself? I've actually started to lose count with how many concerts I've seen in general. Right. Um, And I know Megadeth has got to be five to six times. I've worked in security at concerts, like I would have done security at concerts, and I know I've worked two of their shows. If anybody's in the Vancouver area that's listening, maybe one person. <laughs> but the Commodore Ballroom, he, you know, I, I was uh, stage front, right in front of him, and then I did security with him afterwards. Uh, he was talking to a lot of the people after the show. They were able to come up and talk with him, and he was very nice, very quiet, genuinely happy to, you know, shake people's hands and whatnot. But I got a little funny story about that show that I was working. I was working while they're doing setup and one of the local people who was helping with the setup. So there's an alley behind the Commodore ballroom and that's where they bring the bus in and they load in gear and stuff. And I was working those doors pre-show and there was a local road crew guy that was wearing a Metallica crew shirt. So right. He must have gotten a shirt doing Metallica or whatever, you know, a local uh, person that helps with setup. And I thought, Oh, 
that might not be the best shirt to be wearing unloading Megadeth gear and you're kind of walking around with a Metallica crew road crew shirt on. Well, five minutes later, I saw that same guy come back and they had put black tape over top of the Metallica. Oh, wow. Embroidery on the front. And I'm like, yeah, somebody must have went and talked to him and said, that's probably not what Dave might want to see as you unload his gear as a Metallica <laughs> shirt. <laughs> wow. Now, yeah, yeah, I thought that was interesting. And I noticed it. as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, man, that's not a good look. Just because of the history, especially back then, it was quite a few years ago. It was probably still very raw for Dave. And then to see him come back a couple minutes later with black tape over all the Metallica stuff. Anyway, just a funny little antidotal experience. That's good. With, uh, Megan. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm sure our listeners are like, hurry up, please. Uh, we apologize. Oh. Yeah, we apologize yeah, yeah. to our five listeners who are listening. Again, we don't have all the ins and outs of every track, but what we're going to do is we're going to play the tracks in order of the release of the album, and we're going with the original. The original release of the album, meaning there was only nine tracks. Another nine track. They were following the footsteps of Twisted Sisters. Stay hungry. Nine tracks. <laughs> it's like a forty-minute album. It's crazy. Yeah. As per the rules, Jason. As per the rules. There's a song that already doesn't make the cut because it doesn't fall into the rules. So for our new listeners, there's a couple of rules that we have when we deal with albums. And the rules are no cover tunes. So this doesn't apply here at this album. It would, let's say, if they were doing uh, Anarchy in the UK. So in order for us to make a worse pick, it could be no cover tunes. So it has to be an original song. Two, all band members have to participate in the song can't be a musical for example or an instrumental if there's a singer that's singing every other song and that one musical number even if it's a great number or a terrible number terrible uh song it has to be the full band participation to be fair to rate it against the other songs that have the full band participation with that in mind dawn patrol will not make the cut uh, it won't be in the running for worst if that would have been your worst pick also for our listeners jason doesn't know my pick and I don't know Jason's pick. So, Jason, I don't know if that was going to be your pick because I didn't talk to you before about this before. But in Dawn Patrol, as you know, there's only Dave talking and bass playing, which is really cool, and uh, drums. There is no guitar. Am I wrong with that there's no guitar? I actually do not know. I'm 99% sure there's no guitar. We can do a quick listen. Should, what we, what yeah, we get? Well, let's do it. Well, let's do a Google. Right here. For those who care, the answer is officially no. No guitar. Okay. Really? Yeah. Okay. I think this was on Rock Band, and so there's asking if there's any guitar for it. Huh. Okay. It never even crossed my mind. I know it's bass heavy, obviously, and stuff. You should just Google, does Marty Friedman play guitar on Dawn Patrol? <clears throat> MartyFriedman.com, the official webpage. Okay. He talks about it. Oh. Uh, no guitar here, but in the original version, there was a heavy, dissonant guitar riff that was so strange, I couldn't believe we were planning to record it. The song took shape in the studio. MartyFriedman.com. He has a breakdown, the story behind the song, and he does a breakdown of every song. And well, no guitar. He there you go. No so if Marty isn't the official source, I don't know who is. Yeah, yeah, it's official. Yeah, Marty Friedman is official. So yeah, there you go. Okay, and I, well, I can't hear it in the song, but you know how it is. There's like a little like I don't know instruments enough, and a, a bass can mimic yeah, a guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I never hadn't even thought of it. It didn't even cross my mind. I hope people can 
accept those rules because we just think it's an and it's worked in previous uh, album reviews that it's kind of an out it's an easy pick to pick the cover song or to pick the instrumental some people just hate instrumentals whatever the reason so for our discussion today we're actually only going to break down or pick from eight songs without further ado let's get into the opening track the opening track holy wars dot 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 the punishment due this song and you will be punished yeah the song as we know has an unusual structure because it opens with a fast thrash section and then it shifts to that acoustic bridge to a slower and then it goes heavier again called the punishment due as soon as i heard the song open up like the first time i remember when we, like i said when i was doing the dishes and i was just blown away completely blown away and all of a sudden i was like okay we can live in a world with Metallica and Megadeth easily. All right. Here we go. Like that. So right away, there's that thrash part they're talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this is like the opening chords. And it's like forever. It's like two two minutes almost, two and a half minutes. And it just... <laughs> you're like... I don't know. It's hard to explain the, the joy that I get when I hear it. Oh, yeah. It's a complete joy. And this part here. And that's what uh, my friends we call thrash and metal combined. And then Dave Mustang's vocals, it's it's different than people would expect from the James Hetfield vocals. You know, he's got a higher octave. Yeah, way more growly, a little bit more scratchy. It's not a... Oh, sounds good to me. So this song was about the conflict in Israel and Ireland at the time. This is what he drew his experiences from. In an interview with the UK magazine guitarist, Dave Mustang said that he was inspired to write the song in Northern Ireland when he discovered bootleg Megadeth t-shirts were on sale and was dissuaded from taking action to have them removed on the basis that they were part of a fundraising activities for the cause, i.e. the Provincial Irish Republican Army. Yeah, so right here is about to kick into that punishment due portion of the song. So the first part is, you know, Holy Wars. And then it segues into the punishment due, which is actually, Jason, taken from one of your favorite comics as a kid, The Punisher. That's what he was drawing this inspiration from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what's the hardest part about doing this album? It's not just playing the songs straight through. I know we can't. I'm just saying, when I was listening to this album, just refreshing my mind and kind of getting the groove for this podcast, I was thinking to myself, the hardest part about this podcast is not just sitting back and listening to every song straight through. Yeah, these are amazing, yeah. amazing songs. 
I hate having to stop. Yeah, I know. I agree totally. The whole album lasted my jog today. I did a six kilometer jog and I did the eight songs that we're reviewing. It worked perfectly. I was able to listen to always like almost to the dot of my ending of my jog. So listening to this on my headphones and it, I remember thinking as I was listening just today to the album to refresh as well. Thinking of you, I almost wish we could listen to it together because I think I think Jason is going to remember just how good this album is and why it blew our socks off back in the day as teenagers. This is great, but honestly, their remastered version in 2004 of this album, differences are actually quite significant in some really key areas. I would really encourage people to listen to 2004. I know we're doing the 1990 because it's the original release, but the remastered version actually is quite an improvement. I don't know if you're familiar with the remastered version. Hmm. There's some really subtle improvements that really make the album even that much more impactful. Hmm. I was surprised when I when I listened to it, uh, how impactful the the improvements were. It's worth it. Now the part of the song that we all love is at the end of Punishment Due, when you get that guitar sound that sound that he does that Dave does. Oh yeah, the bounce kind of the muted guitar strings and the bounce. And then, of course, Marty's incredible solo activity. Now, is it Marty doing the solos or Dave? Because I know in the concert, Dave does the solos on this album. And I don't know if that's because Marty's not around anymore. So Dave said, I'll do it. I'm not sure. But I've seen Dave do the solos for this album live. Oh, here we go. Oh, you found the source? You know what the producer was? Mike Klink? Yeah, we forgot to mention that. You know, he's been around. But, I mean, his big albums would have been Appetite for Destruction at the time. Yeah. And he was starting to work for Use Your Illusions 1 and 2. Of course, Dave Mustaine kind of downplays Mike Klink's assistance on this album, saying he was more focused on Guns N' Roses. I'll tell you what, there's a jump in uh, sound and everything from the previous album to this album. Mm -hmm. To downplay Mike Klink's help in that is maybe a little bit of ego. I'm sure. just saying. I just figured, you know, I always remember just how young he was too. You know, like he's 29. Just think about how young you were. And he's, this is his fourth studio album. Weird, eh? 29, you're working on your fourth studio album. Right, But to be fair, Dave Mustang produced the first song, the one we're still looking at right now. Mike Klink was a part producer on Hangar 18. It just it comes up that he, both Dave and Mike worked on the album. It seems like they've broken down some of the songs, who worked on what. I don't have the information on the other non-single songs regarding that, but it looks like Mike might not have been on every song necessarily. Sure. Yeah, according to Wikipedia. But maybe our uh, Megadeth fans could tell us uh, in the comments on Twitter or on our Facebook page and let us know where we're wrong. <laughs> According to Marty Friedman, he did the second electric solo. There you go. Okay, so let's get and a sample of that. that diddly diddly. And uh, so you talk about the one that goes at the beginning. That's I mean, Dave. And then, I, yeah, I mean Marty Friedman says he, you know, they had a fight because he had originally did a solo. He didn't like it. Everybody else liked it, but Marty didn't like it, and eventually allowed him to re re-record the solo and he says he had to fight to record the second electric solos hmm let's get some samples of that let's see if i can find it Just wait.
was that Marty there? I'm going to guess yes, and I wouldn't be surprised if that was Dave who's doing that muted guitar. Yeah, Dave does it in the concerts. You see live footage, Dave does that, and it's really cool to see it live, how it sounds. And I love that, the way that guitar sounds there. With You want to hear it like on loop for like 10, 20 times. Listen to this build up here. I love this part here where he says... I always loved that when I was young. All right. Holy Wars, Jason, Punishment Do. Yeah, awesome. It right. is awesome. It is. So their second single and the second song on the album, and they only released two singles on this album. It's hard to be to have a single. These songs are long, and they don't really necessarily... Uh, I actually think, they, I think Tornado of Souls was a single. Was it? Yes, I think there was three on this album. Well, according to Wikipedia, they just said... Holy Wars and Hangar 18. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. my bad. I don't know what stations were playing this, though, back in 1990. I have no idea where these songs would have been played either. They actually made videos of these songs, so that's the single. So on MTV or Much Music in Canada, they were played on the Power Hour and stuff like that. So they definitely got the airplay video-wise. Maybe that's the singles they're referring to is that they got the airplay, but maybe on the radio itself it wasn't very big on the radio, but for music videos, it got rotated. Sure. All right, so Hangar 18, of course, is that video with the aliens, and that's what it's about. I believe it's about aliens. Yeah. Uh, he's into the government type of UFO, alien kind of conspiracy territory. I'm talking about Dave. There was a movie called Hangar 18 that was in 1980, just 10 years previous before the album came out. So really only 10 years old for these guys. It was an American science fiction action film directed by James L. Conway and written by Ken Pettis. Uh, the movie that dealt with UFO conspiracy theories, and this inspired drummer Nick Menza to write the lyrics for the song. Really? Yeah, and then shortly thereafter, frontman Dave Mustang composed the bulk of the music. Okay. Yeah. So this is interesting. The intro is a rapidly strummed version of the D minor arpeggio that Mustang... Hey, Ryan. Yeah? Ryan, sorry. According to Wikipedia, all songs were written and composed by Dave Mustang, except were noted... And the lyrics, Musain Ellison, Tornado of Souls, and that's it. Uh, it does say a citation needed, so maybe... No, may- the citation here is Capitol Records. <laughs> Rest in peace, Ladder Notes, original release, Capitol Records, yeah. 1990. No, what I mean is uh, maybe somebody read in an interview or something where Nick says, oh, yeah, I did some lyric oh. writing. You know, so that's what I was saying, citation needed, that Nick... Maybe he didn't contribute to lyrics. In, sometimes the credit is just easier to give it all to Dave. For all we know, but maybe Nick said I helped with the lyrics in some interview and somebody put that on Wikipedia. So we, we understand that Wikipedia is not always, but we know it's about UFOs, conspiracies, and what and what have you. My Wikipedia, the one I'm looking at is the Rust in Peace Wikipedia page. To talk about Metallica here, this is where I feel bad for Dave. Uh, Hangar 18 was nominated for Best Metal Performance at the 33rd Annual Grammy Awards back in the day when you know Grammys actually had metal categories. Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't have done this. But lost to Metallica's Stone Cold Crazy cover of Queen. That's unacceptable. Oh, that's horrible. That is, and I love Metallica. And this is the thing, but I'm being fair here. Not only is that not that great of a song or cover, Stone Cold Crazy. No. Hangar 18 is an original song, and it's a wicked awesome song, and it's way better than Stone Cold Crazy, Queen version or Metallica version. Right. The funny thing is, is didn't Metallica get ripped off by uh, losing to Fleetwood Mac? No, or, Jethro uh, Tull, wasn't it? Jeth- sorry. Yeah, Jethro Tull. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so, I mean, that's karma for you. 
Metallica is the Jethro Tull to Dave. <laughs> That's a kick in the teeth, as uh, you'd say. Yes. All right, let's sample Hangar 18, Wicked Beginning, another long intro beginning of metal before the lyrics kick in. Let's check that out. Love the uh, build-up. It's, it's coming right here, the, where it kicks into that higher tempo. Yeah. So, thoughts on the uh, the Hangar 18? So, there's a lot of focus on the guitar, you know, obviously, and, and that. But boy, that that bass playing and drumming going on Dave Elfson Elfson his bass playing is so technical yeah like have you ever seen him do his videos where he just plays the songs yes I have yes it's unbelievable these guys I know 1990 and they're like just a bunch of metal heads no and no no you all can't, their man. drugs and alcohol problems and all the rest and all the chaos behind the scenes the proficiency in the is, is unbelievable to me. I'm always in awe of how proficient these musicians are, despite all the craziness that they're dealing with. This should be noted that Hangar 18 is you know, alien-based, but it's the kind of the theme of the cover of the album, Rest in Peace. You have Vic Rattlehead or something? Yeah, 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 Vic Rattlehead. So Vic Rattlehead there, he's on the front cover, and he's got like a glowing green heart or something in his hand, and his hand over a alien in some sort of chamber. And you've got the world leaders at the time, George Sr., Gobachev, and others behind the aliens. So the idea, you know, the governments are working with the aliens, and they're Hangar 18. And yeah, I, I love that. It's a great album cover. It is, uh, yeah, it's awesome. So the best part of the song, though, Jay, for me, is at the end, of course, when they dis- <laughs> all these songs, they ramp it up at the end. I love... Again, with this, uh, there's that choppy, or sorry, there's that drum roll, I don't know what to call it, that it kicks into a guitar solo, and then does that drum roll strumming, heavy metal strumming, that kicks into another guitar solo, like four time change. All these songs, this is really very different approach to music. Metallica and Megadeth may have a similar background, but there's quite a departure in their song structures. Yeah, let's sample that at the end because I think our listeners want to hear that. That's the uh, highlight of the mega of the of a hangry team.
Now, if you're at a concert and you're hearing that, you're not not banging your head. <laughs> okay. Now, me and you have seen uh, Megadeth a few times together. We went to Seattle for one. Yeah. You were with me in the club, right? Downtown Vancouver. Yeah. I've, uh, seen, yeah, I've seen them live five times, if you can believe it. In fact, was- Metallica and Megadeth were tied for a while there for five times each, and I finally broke it. I always said to myself, I wonder who's going to break the record, because both have been active throughout the years, and just timing and availability on my part are theirs. But yeah, Metallica won with the sixth viewing the two summers ago, but mm-hmm. I have no bones saying I've seen these guys live five times. I've gone five times for a reason. But do you remember when we were just in front of the soundboard and we were leaning against the metal and how hard the bass was hitting our chest? Yeah, <laughs> I do, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so a song like that, when we were sitting against the railing, against the soundboard, it was a club size. It was not more than five or six, I don't know, 700 people, 800 people in that place. I can't really recall. It was not huge. We were that far away from the front of the stage. And the bass was pounding her chest. Yeah. Awesome memory, Brian. I'm it, glad I was there with you, man. Yeah, it actually kind of hurt, too. <laughs> <I remember thinking, laughs> we, we, we were wearing ear protection. My goodness, we had to. But I remember thinking, this is actually pounding my chest. Like, is this safe? <laughs> yeah, it was like a implosion. Well, needless to say, Megadeth doesn't take any prisoners at the concerts. No, they don't. And which ties in nicely, of course, to track number three, <laughs> Take oh. No Prisoners. You know, I love the no mercy that they're kind of showing here in these song titles and, and uh, lyrics. But, of course, this is the idea that, you know, war takes no prisoners. I remember back when I was a teenager when this album came out, we were – this wasn't from our parents. Our parents were very uh, – they were – though we were had a conservative upbringing, they were very liberal about uh, us with our music. They trusted us. They knew that we didn't listen to anything that was um, overtly, like, sexually explicit or what have you. Megadeth, though sounding of – you know, thrash metal. It's thrash metal, for Pete's sakes. Back in the 90s, it was not a common sound that echoed through most homes to have a thrash metal album. Like, it wasn't commercially accepted amongst a lot of people, right? It still had an underground feel to it. I remember being criticized from some of my other conservative friends or friends' parents at the time being a fan of Megadeth. And I would say to them, like, they rarely swear, if they swear at all. And not only that, their albums are political. There's no sexual uh, misconduct in their songs. There's no, if, if there's any drug talk, it's anti-drug. And it, and really, yeah, they're taking shots at the government and for the abuse the government has done on the people. Yeah, fair point. I mean, it, he is uh, he's a politically minded individual and he's just expounding on those ideas. You know, storytelling. Yes. It's not, it's not gratuitous in any real way. That's the word, yeah, gratuitous, no. Again, wasn't our parents, parents of the day back then, and some of my friends' parents, when they hear this and they think it was just, you know, I'd hate to say it, but they called it evil. I'm like, well, there's nothing evil about it. I don't know what you're saying. This is a, it's a political essay with thrash metal music playing in the background. <laughs> sure. It was actually interesting, I mean, dealing with the stuff that we're dealing with right now, um, the fact that he references an epidemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some lyrics that talks about yeah the wiping out of people because of government mishandling. Yeah, all right. So take no prisoners. Uh, I love the intro of this song. This song really does showcase the thrash, and I've forgotten how much of a thrash album it is compared to Metallica and uh, why it does have the label of thrash metal. This song showcases it. Take no prisoners. Check it out.
That's pretty powerful. I love it, man. Oh, man, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, this is why this album is near perfect. I, I just love this part. I've got to hear this part. <laughs> Epidemic, and then it goes, Take no prisoners, cremate them. And they go, Burn. Oh, I missed that part. Oh, let me go back to that. I love when they go, Burn. burn. Yeah, I love that. Burn. It's, it's fun. And it's thrash, but it's not chaotic, if that makes sense. This is a very thought out. It is very technical. What they're yeah. doing is very technical. It's not just, Oh, we're just going to play fast. This is a very technically created songs, uh, not just this song, but the whole album. To very technically created, it sounds chaotic, but it's very well crafted. Five Magics. I always wish they made this track five. Maybe that would have been too confusing. But it's track four, Five Magics, and it's interesting. It's my understanding, Jay, with this song that Dave has since become a born again Christian in his later years, which is great, good for him. Because of that, he no longer plays this song at concerts. Yeah, I, I have heard him talk about a few of his feelings regarding some of their older songs. And yeah, this is one of them. I love this song. Yeah, I, I do. I do too. I just look Despite, at it the same way I look at it as a Harry Potter or Star Wars The Force. That's kind of... Yeah, there's nothing crazy about this, but I think he's had probably some bad experiences on drugs. Mm. <laughs> he might be overthinking his own lyrics here, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that middle part, uh, I have to tell you, the 2004 remaster version, this song really shines. The, the way that they redid it. Mm. Just a heads up. Okay. Revisit this in the 2004 remastered version, and it really highlights the improvements. So listen to the beginning, and then we'll get to the part that I think we all love when he does yep. the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. But here's a uh, Elfson's bass playing. Yeah. So I just wanted to highlight Ellison's bass playing there. Yeah. Yeah. Another uh, song, of course, with the long intro, which is great, of them just playing. And you know that the buildup's coming. Yes. And it's funny because you know it's coming, but you're like, you get anxious for it, but the buildup is just the best part. I've forgotten how long this intro is in a good way. It's like, oh, yeah, it's almost a couple minutes long. And the song itself right. is only like, well, I guess it's six minutes long or. Is it really? Uh, five and a half, five minutes, 40 seconds. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dave's vocals sound a little bit different in this song, a little bit more, uh, I would say panicked or anxious, but just more uh, alarmist. All right, here we go. Me, no, 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 no. 
That's what I love about this song too. It's got the big build up, and then it has right away a guitar solo, like right after the first verse. Right. All right. Then we'll. I want to show the part here that we all know is coming. When he's like, "Give me alchemy, astronomy, if you please, master of all of these." <laughs> I just love that. Great stuff. Okay. You got to play the last little bit. Come on. So it says at the end, he who lives in sin shall surely love the lie. Is that what it is? No, uh, we surely uh, will surely live the lie. Live the lie, yeah. There you go. See, anti-sinning, anti anti-evil. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, kind of going after the Twisted Sister vibe. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah that's right. Um, can I tell you a little quick story? Of course. Uh, according to Marty Friedman, he was having troubles with playing the guitar solo over the thrash. And Mike Klink gave him one of Slash's guitar picks that was lying around. And then I nailed the part in one take. Magic. What? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Slash's guitar pick was used on that guitar solo. Yeah, there you go. Builds into a conspiracy that maybe Slash sold the, sold the devil to be the guitarist that he is. That his instruments are uh, touched by magic itself. Ooh. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah, there you go. That's awesome. That's a cool story. Yeah. Anything else from Marty's uh, words regarding that song or even the Take No Prisoners? We didn't talk about that. Yeah, no, no, nothing crazy. He just said he was had a tough time trying to fit a solo over that because the sig- timing signatures were difficult for him to fit it in. And uh, yeah, and then he got Slash's pick and then Slash basically bailed him out. Nice. Oh. <laughs> what? Oh, I can just imagine a lot of people going, Slash isn't going to bail Marty Freeman Oh, out. no. I told two different type of <laughs> yeah, players. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But that's yeah. a cool story, yeah. That is a great story. The fifth track on the album, Poison Was the Cure. Uh, what do you call that? Oxymoron statement, right? right? Poison Was the Cure. Anything Marty says about the song? Yeah, okay. This is the first solo he did on this album. It's the first solo he recorded on the album. Interesting. Let's hear the intro. Great uh, bass line opening. Yeah, absolutely.
it's funny the intro is is such a different sound than what happens in the song afterwards. Yeah, talk about thrash metal. I mean, yeah, this is absolutely thrash, which might indicate this might be one of the earlier songs recorded for the album. So they might not even know where they're going with this album yet. Yeah, when I was listening. I actually thought this might be the oldest song on mm. the album. I think I thought of the same thing. I'm not even joking. Yeah. I did. I was on my jog. I actually remember where I was on my jog when I thought it, actually. <laughs> That's a weird, totally sympathetical. What's the word? Sim- on the same page. <laughs> Synchronicity? Or no? no, synchronicity. You oh. know what that is, actually? When you and your wife, let's say, are pregnant, expecting a child, you'll notice everyone else is pregnant. So it's, oh, yeah, yeah synchronicity. Or if you buy a pink bike, you'll notice everyone else has a pink bike. Yeah, it's also like uh, when, for whatever reason, two movies were thought about at the same time, for and they're made at the same time, but they're independently thought of. It's uh, The universe provides that for some reason. There's a whole science behind it. It's weird. Or pseudoscience, but whatever. Anyways, right. song number six, Lucretia. Do you know what that word means by chance? I meant to look it up I, before the start of this episode. Actually, I don't. Actually, every time I hear it, I always think he's singing about like a, I could be completely wrong, but is it a girl named Lucretia? Well, according to Roman tradition, Jason, Lucretia, anglicized as Lucretia, was a noblewoman in ancient Rome who, whose rape by Sextus Tarquinus, king's son, was the cause of a rebellion that overthrew the Roman monarchy and led to the transition of Roman government from a kingdom to a republic. So it's probably exactly what he's singing about. Look, I'm looking at the lyrics right now. and That's not the case? Oh, well, it could be, but it's like it doesn't really make a lot of sense mm. to me. What are some examples um, of them? Uh, just sitting up late at night, I, I tiptoe through the darkness, cold as hell, black as spades, aware of my immediate surrounding in my place. I escape. And then he goes on to say, like, Dave, you're mental anyway. Hey, my friends all say, Dave, you're mental anyway. Hey, you know that part? Hey. Uh, oh, he's saying Dave, you're mental. Really? Mm-hmm. Dirt grits beneath my feet. The stairs creak. I precariously sneak. Hypnosis guides my hand. I mean, it's, Moonbeams surge through the sky. The crystal balls energize. Surely, surely that like the cat waiting, Lucretia rocks away. Interesting. So there's really nothing to do with the Romanness. Yeah. Mm. Dave, you're mental anyway. So he's got voices in his head. It probably kind of a precursor to their song on Countdown to Extinction, Sweating Bullets. Right. We should note that if uh, we enjoyed this one and people enjoyed this episode, we would like to break down the same way we've done for this one for Countdown to Extinction. I think that would be worth to do. Uh, I would like to do that one. I mean, these are kind of the two highlight albums that yeah, they have. Yeah, that's the highlight of their career. And I was going to say, commercial-wise, Countdown was their top-selling album, so that would make sense. For, so this is their high-selling album, but their critically acclaimed, most critically acclaimed album. But Countdown was just right behind it. Took a different tone. We'll talk about that. Okay, Lucretia, see what it sounds like, how the intro goes. I'm... <laughs> There's Vic. Now, before it gets to it, I just want to say I, I love this intro, but I love when Dave actually kicks in with his vocals, how the guitar is done underneath the vocal course. Yeah, now I actually love the way Dave sings the song. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We all know what we're talking about for those of the album, but I just love the way, yeah, it is that kind of almost like a waving, pushing force of a guitar and vocals at the same time.
I love it when they do that. Hey, I wonder how they know they're going to do that for the song, you know. Yeah, let's hear the guitar work at the end. driving solo. Bands aren't doing this anymore, seems like. Because they're not nearly as talented. They're not nearly as talented as this. And yeah, let me talk about the solo. This is from Marty Friedman himself. Yeah, please. He says, this solo is a great example of my playing. It's got it all. And then he goes on to say... To explain this solo technically would take a page and a half and a music professor. I'm quite pleased with this one. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea he felt that way because it's funny that he does because the next song, song seven, Tornado of Souls, this is a not only a fan favorite, but it's considered by many fans of the album and of Megadeth. And if you go online, you're going to find more people covering showing off their guitar skills doing the Tornado Souls to, uh, solo more than I think Lucretia, which is interesting that Tornado mm-hmm. Souls is kind of the, or the one that people like to showcase or talk about as the highlight mm-hmm. of the album. What did he say about it, that? Because when I finished the solo to this one, Mustaine came into the studio, listened to it down once, turned around and without saying a word, shook my hand. It was at that moment that I felt like I was truly the guitarist for this band. Oh, wow. So Dave felt the same way. Yeah. Okay, without further ado, Tornado Souls. Boy, this is a great song. If you want to listen to the whole thing uninterrupted, of course, well, you know, it's on iTunes and Spotify and YouTube. It's very much like a, a sister to Lucretia in the way it sounds. Yeah, these lyrics are awesome. I'm reading the lyrics as uh, yeah. it's going through, and wow. Give me an example there. Well, just that first one. Um, this morning I made the call, the one that ends it all. Hanging up, I wanted to cry, but damn it, this well's gone dry. Not for the money, not for the fame, not for the power, just no more games. 
but now I'm safe in the eye of the tornado. I can't replace the lies that let a thousand days go. No more living trapped inside. In her way, I'll surely die. In the eye of the tornado, blow me away. That's awesome. Oh, and it just carries on. I, I just, yeah. Let's get to the solo. Let's not tease the audience anymore. Let's see why Dave shook Marty's hand as the new lead guitarist for Megadeth. chills i got chills i know i know the lyrics for this song are really amazing what was uh, dave singing at the end there can't see what's on my mind can't do what i really feel in this bed i made for me is where i sleep i really feel i warn you of the fate proven true too late your tongue twist perverse come drink now of this curse and now i will fill your brain i spin you around again my poison fills your head as I tuck you into bed, you feel my fingertips. You won't forget my lips. You'll feel my cold breath. It's the kiss of death. Yeah. Sheepers, man. Obviously, a Tornado of Souls, uh, this is uh, him dealing with, obviously, probably the voices in his head and depression and boy. And, and maybe feeling like a loss, like it doesn't matter who I'm with, eventually it ends poorly. Yeah. And then there's all this whole tornado of relationships mm. that, Oh yeah, yeah. So not just me, voices, hell, people around him. Yeah, man. yeah. Yeah, all the destruction, the collateral damage of a you know. At this time, he's probably either coming out or still struggling with addiction issues and and the fallout of all those relationships and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, uh, we don't say this enough, or I'm sure people know this, but we say you know Dave's the lyric writer, or he's the driving force behind the musical shape of this song. But the fact that he turns to his lead guitarist, said, look, I've hired you, you know, to be the lead guitarist to come up with these solos. That's their job. I, I don't know how they do it because I'm not musical. I don't have that gene or DNA. But to create that solo to fit the song is weird to me. You're not just picking it at a string. You've got to do something and make it work. I just love the idea that Dave turned him and said, yep, that's why I hired you. I'm a fan of music and you know rock and, and, and stuff like that. I'm not musical, though. Like I don't play instruments. I can't sing. I'm always just in the magic of songwriting. To me, it's got to be one of those five magic. It's beyond me of how they can structure these lyrics. Like sometimes you read lyrics, and you're like, I don't know how that would work in a song. Yeah. 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 And then somehow they make it work. And like, I can't barely even read it, let alone. It's the fans that fuel the creativity because. We are grateful to them because everyone, like, for example, everyone knows how to walk, you know, except those who are incapable. But you know what I'm saying? Like, walking isn't an art. It's not a, uh, it's something we all can do. So there's no fanfare. You're not going to a concert to watch people walk. 
what I'm getting at is we recognize as those who can't do this, that these people, for whatever reason, were able to create something at a certain time, in a certain way, in a certain place, and present it to the general masses. And we're all like, yeah, this is something. You know, I'm not Marty Friedman. But isn't it great that we have bands or artists of any one of your bands that you like, that there are people doing this that we can enjoy, or else we're just going to watch everybody walk. It's okay to be the fan. Being the audience member, there's no shame in that. Right. Like one of the things that bugged me about kind of the grunge era of music, even to this day, is how some musicians want to present themselves. We're just kind of like you guys. But the thing is, I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be bigger than life. I don't want to relate with my musical idols or whatever you might. I want them to be unique. I want them to be different. I want them to stand out because that's what makes it special. Exactly. I mean, that's just disingenuous in some ways to, to pretend you're one of us because then, then I, I maybe they're just saying, yeah, we're all human and we're all here on this planet sharing the air. I understand that. But, but you have a talent. I can't paint. I can't sing. And I, but as a fan, we can gather together in, in, uh, in a gathering when that's allowed again and enjoy the celebration of music and art and the sound hitting our eardrums. Like, that's fine. Dave Mustang doesn't have to say from the stage, uh, you guys are one of us. No, you're Megadeth. <laughs> right. And that's the way I want it. Yeah. I like having those rock stars. I want those Robert Plants. I want those Axl Roses. I want those debut stains. But if they want to come down and meet me or come on the podcast, by all means, if you're that truly one of us, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So we'll skip Dawn Patrol. We, again, if you're a fan of Megadeth, you know it. We're not. It's not up for uh, discussion. So we'll carry on that it's it doesn't involve all the band members. And we got that from Marty Freeman's own words. So does he have anything to say about Rest in Peace, Jay? Before The, la- the last oh, track on the album, Rest in Peace, Polaris? Yes, actually he does. This was my favorite tune on the record at the time. He said that? Think, yeah. Okay. It was his favorite tune at the time. So I'm not sure which is his favorite tune right now. But anyway, at the time when they made it, that was his favorite tune. Mike Klink, the producer, was also excited about it. The main riff in Rust is like no other in rock, absolutely unique. Hmm. Oh, wow. Okay, so let's check out what he's referring to. The main riff in Rust. So this last song, it's kind of the closer of this concept album. This is definitely a concept album. You know, the beginning of the song was Holy Wars, dot, 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 The Punishment Due. And now we're ending with Rust in Peace, dot, 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 Polaris. And there are some lyrics, Jason, if you want to pull those up, that kind of tie into what's happening today. Day's voice there. Mm. And then he kicks into the singing. I wanted to mention Nick's men's is drumming. I think we've been uh, remiss not mentioning how good he is. Uh, yeah. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, if I remember correctly, he was actually the guitar tech for the drummer that left, got kicked out. 
Oh, really? He was a guitar, I'm sorry, not guitar tech, the drum tech. Oh, I was going to say that's even, okay. Yeah, no, <laughs> it no, makes no, more yeah, sense, yeah. but there you go. Yeah, he was the drum tech and then replaced the drummer he was the drum tech for. And he is an amazing drummer. Absolutely. It's hard to hit everybody uh, with equal appreciation. Yeah. I've seen Nick Menz, I believe. Yeah, he has passed away. I forgot to yeah, mention that. Yeah, he died. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Very Rust young. <laughs> Rust in peace. <laughs> Rest in peace, Nick. Rest in peace, Nick. <laughs> I think he'd appreciate that. I think he'd appreciate that. Yeah, he passed away in 2016, the age of 51. Boy, that's right. He died on stage. Ooh. He was uh, performing with his band OHM at the Baked Potato Jazz Club in Studio City, California. Only three songs into the set, Mensa collapsed on stage, and he was rushed to a hospital. So he didn't die on stage, I don't think, but I mean, where he was pronounced dead on arrival. So somewhere between the collapse and the arrival of the hospital. An autopsy later showed the cause of death to be basically heart failure. Right. Wow. Sucks. They had a heart attack, essentially, on stage. All right, so Rust in Peace is the beginning part of that song, and it ends with Polaris. Let's hear that transition. Any uh, any lyrics from the song that stick out for today's events? Um, I think just the idea of you know the end of the world, but they Polaris is like nuclear warhead, right? So right. I thought this lyric: "I am nuclear murderer. I am Polaris." Yeah. That's a, it's like, and I love it when a band mentions himself in a song. Let's hear that. So, don't they say that here, Jay? We want to read that lyric and then we'll hear it, listen to it. Doesn't he say Megadeth in the song? I don't think he does, right? What does it say? It sounds like. Where, where, um, let me, let me, no. Past judgment on humanity, winds blow from the bow. I always thought he said, I am Megadeth or something about Megadeth. Listen to this part here. Maybe I'm wrong, but that, you know, well, people mishear lyrics all the time. But listen to this. I thought, I swear he says Megadeth. Listen. Right there. Oh, no. Discharge my payload mild high, rotten egg, air of death. Oh. <laughs> Say that again slowly. Right. Rotten egg, air of death. Oh, my. Rotten air of death? Rotten egg. E-G-G. Egg. Rotten, rotten egg. egg. Rotten egg of death? Rotten, rotten egg, air of death. Oh, come on. I swear he says Megadeth. Now, Jason, just for the record, say again what he says there. Okay. According to the lyrics yeah. that I'm reading, yeah. discharge my payload a mile high, rotten egg, air of death. Okay, that makes sense. But listen to, <laughs> but listen to it. <laughs> it's funny you thought that because I always heard rotten egg, air of death. Well, are you kidding me? No. You always heard that. I still can't hear it. Even though you told me, I still can't hear it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I always yeah. thought it said something, my heart is Megadeth or something like that. Like, my heart is Megadeth. That is so funny. It's like they did that sound on, on the internet that, you know, people hear Charlie or Bob or whatever it was. Oh. I. Right. You know, and I think it's actually how your brain processes sound. Like, like there's no way of saying what it is because people hear what well, they hear. Yeah, and you're also filling in gaps. So, I mean, the way he sings can be difficult, right? So, right. a lot of these lyrics are a little bit disjointed. Like, even rotten egg, air of death. Like, that's, I got to concentrate to say that. Rotten egg, 
era of death. Like that's not an easy. That's funny. It's just not typical. English. All these years, I thought they mentioned themselves because I love when a band mentions themselves. In, yeah, in the you, you preconditioned yourself to hear Megadeth because it's Megadeth. That's funny. Yeah. I wonder what I would have heard had their name been something else. You know what I mean? Like in that part. Like their name was Rotten Egg Air of Death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's uh, hear the outro here when it turns into Rust in Peace. See if I can find it. So here's the transition from Rust in Peace to Polaris. So the idea almost like the bomb is dropped, I think. Yeah. What's he saying there? Well, he goes, when will this cease? Yeah. The warheads will rust in peace. Okay. Bomb shelters filled to the brim. Survival such a silly whim. World leaders self, sell missiles cheap. Your stomach churns, your flesh creeps. And then high priests of Holocaust, fire from the sea, nuclear winter spreading disease, the day of final conflict, all pay the price. The third world war rapes. Peace takes life. Back to the start. Talk of the part. When the earth was cold as ice, total dismay as the sun passed away and the days were black as night. Eradication of Earth's population loves Polaris. Yeah. say the last riff by marty and dave there sorry i kind of cut off the solo all right there you go what an ending to this album there's no yeah. there's no rest for the wicked as they say no they'll stop to take a breath <laughs> no they're taking no prisoners no there's a bit of a tornado of rock souls until the yeah. dawn until the dawn patrols you in the morning and wakes you up just before the mushroom cloud and we all rest in peace the irony to all this is that poison was the cure. Yeah. <laughs> so cheesy. <laughs> I know, I know. So, Jason, this has been the mega episode. <laughs> Hopefully we haven't bored our listeners to death. And we left uh, a target of souls in our path. That's right. The punishment is due, though, because there is a song that oh, as great man. as all of them are, there's one that isn't uh, as great as the others. I'm scared. I'm scared to give my answer. Oh, I'm... 
I'm not scared to give mine. And if you don't choose my answer, do who goes first? Because you're scared. Right. I'm not scared. So I'm going to do mine first then. My pick is Poison Was the Cure. Ah, okay. Now, the reason being is, is well, I'll play a little bit of the beginning just because. That's the song I want to rehear because it's between that and another one. Oops, that's my creation, which is a. Would have yeah. been my worst pick, but it was added on to later releases, and it's the reason why I didn't make the album because it's not very good. Okay, sorry. So, Poison Was a Cure. Now, it has a wicked, wicked bass play, and this is why the song, you know, I, I like this song, like, I would never skip it, but it does sound like a little bit like their older three albums. It sounds like a it's like their transition song to what would become Rust in Peace, if that makes sense. The beginning is so strong and cool. Dave's bass playing is so cool. It turns into kind of a scat-a-tat-tat-tat thrash that's not as strong as the beginning. Like, this buildup is really cool, and you think, we're going to go somewhere. And where it goes is not good. That's the problem. Because you're thinking, oh, this is a cool, like, where's this going? Where's this going? And then it has this little drum snare thing. You're like, ugh, what happened here? And that's where the song loses me coming right here. It's just, it's yeah, kind of like, going. oh, okay. Yeah. You compare that with even Lucretia right after and Five Magics before, it's, there's a reason why it's in the middle of the album. Oh, boy. What? <laughs> Which one's yours? <laughs> what? Okay, this is... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, which one's your pick? I'm actually leaning towards Rust in Peace, Polaris. What? <laughs> okay, explain yourself. You just If anyone's still listening now. Uh... Yeah, it feels a little disjointed to me, the, the way that he phrases the lyrics. It's funny, I'm a big lyric guy and I do enjoy lyrics, despite me thinking he says Megadeth there. This is an example of where the song structure is strong enough that I don't care what he's singing in, in some ways. But no, it's, it's the way it's the way that he sings the lyrics. Really? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Which part? Not the lyrics themselves, but the way that he sings them. It just feels more like talking, singing. It doesn't flow for me. It feels a little disjointed. Yeah, so actually the way the song starts, I like that part. Hmm. It's uh, ready to pounce. Yeah, ready to pounce at the touch of button. My sister, like, I don't like that part. I, yeah. Wow. I think I might go with Rust in Peace, Polaris. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, and I get, I kind of get what you say. Poison was the cure. That's why I kind of wanted to hear it a little bit longer. Sure. And I think typically I would pick that type of song. Let's put it this way. If Rust in Peace was in the middle of the album, I probably would be more likely to push skip. Wow. Okay, well, thanks, everyone, that's, for listening. That's, <laughs> I've lost all credibility. No, I no. It. I feel horrible because, honestly, I love this album. I love Megadeth. I, I'm a big 
founded Dave Mustaine. He's gone through a lot in his life, yeah. including cancer just recently. It's hard to pick this song. It's hard to pick a song. I find it more difficult than when we did the Face No More. This uh, well, and we should make that clear. Like, would you skip the song listening to this album? No, no, I would listen to it straight through. Yeah, and so just remember, everyone who uh, before you send us the hate mail, this is actually a perfect album. I'd give it a nine point five out of ten or four point eight out of five, however you want to cut it. It's just like every list. There's uh, eight songs that we that we reviewed from this album. They're not all ranked the same. And you know what? Going into this, I was thinking Dawn Patrol. Well, that's why we didn't include it. Dawn Patrol's a thing. It's a a throwaway track. I actually liked it more. It's surprising how much I actually enjoyed it. Yeah, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. You know what? That's fair. That's fair, Jay, uh, that you say that because I agree that I would rather listen to Dawn Patrol ironically then poison was the cure so even had we included dawn patrol and just so people don't get mad at us fine here's a little snippet of it <laughs> great bass line and oh, amazing. uh amazing and uh dave's low talking and then his laugh at the end had a whistle through his teeth. Yeah, kind of like a rat, right? Or yeah. Like a rat sound. So yeah. Dawn Patrol, and I always pictured like these uh, skeleton soldiers marking th- marching through. I don't know mm. why. I don't kinda know like why. a zombie thing. Yeah. Is it like the Night Walkers from uh, Game of Thrones? Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, I would I would rather listen to Dawn Patrol than Poison Was a Cure. I think Poison Was a Cure is actually, it's not a, it's actually not a very strong song. It's, it's the weakest song on the album, even with Dawn Patrol in the mix. So there you go. For our purists who got mad at us maybe at the beginning of the episode that we didn't include Dawn Patrol, fine. We included it. Are you happy? Uh, even though it breaks our own rules because not everyone participates in the song, it's still I'd rather listen to Dawn Patrol than Poison Was a Cure. Yeah. So we both feel that way at least. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Jason, thanks for coming on. I know you'll be on again for, uh, I think we've already talked about it, some future uh, music episodes to have you on. We've talked about Van Halen, some of their albums, and I think that'd be fun to discuss uh, a David album and a Sammy album. We'll we'll discuss offline which ones to cover. I want to thank everyone for listening. Remember, in front of every silver lining, there's a cloud, and we're here to help you find it. Thanks for listening. Everyone be safe out there. Let's hope we all don't rest in peace when this is all said and done. Yes. Thanks, brother.